Later this morning, the House Intelligence Committee will come to order to host the first public impeachment hearings against the president. And Michael McFall, he knows better than most people what's going to happen next. You testified in front of Adam Schiff not so long ago. Yes. I looked up your testimony. It was striking to me because it was rough. Thank you. We'll come to order. Without objection, the chair is empowered to declare a recess at any time. Yeah, it was crazy. This hearing was back in March, way before the current scandal about Ukraine, before even the Mueller report was released. I mean, I've testified for a, you know, a quarter of a century by now before many different committees, uh, some controlled by Republicans, some controlled by Democrats. I have never uh, witnessed the degree of confrontation that they had among their own members. That, that went on for an hour before they even got to us, if you recall. McFall is a former U.S. ambassador to Russia. He came to Capitol Hill to testify about Russian election interference. This confrontation he's talking about, it happened after Adam Schiff had opened the hearings, earnest as ever, somberly laying out the meeting's purpose, which is when the Republican members of the committee decided to try to jump in and stage some kind of coup. As such, we have no faith in your ability to discharge your duties in a manner consistent with your constitutional responsibility and urge your immediate resignation as chairman of the committee. Mr. Chairman, this letter is signed by all nine members of the uh, Republican side of the House, of the, of the committee, and I ask unanimous consent to be entered into the record of today's hearing. It's hard to describe the look of complete disbelief on Representative Schiff's face here as his Republican colleagues pressure him to resign. He tries to pivot to Ambassador McFall's testimony, and then he has to gavel down members who are trying to interrupt him. Mr. Ambassador, you are recognized for your opening statement. I will not yield. Mr. Ambassador, you well, are... yield because you, you just made will, some things about will, all of us that I, I think will, we all should get I the opportunity not, to respond to. I if you're going to say yield. we think, you ought to allow us to speak of what you we think. Use your five minutes when they finally got to us, everybody on the panel were experts. Uh, and yet the first set of questions from Congressman Nunes to me was, felt like an interrogation. Ambassador McFall, you're aware that lying to Congress is a crime and you're expected to tell the whole truth here, correct? Yes, he warned me ahead of time, if you lie to this committee, uh, you'll go to jail. And then he proceeded to ask me, uh, you know, in a very confrontational way, did I know this person? Did I know that person? Trying to build a theory about something else. Uh, and that was, as you said, that was for pretty small uh, potatoes compared to what they're going to be talking about tomorrow. What was clear in our hearing, and I predict will also happen tomorrow, is the Republicans aren't actually interested in the topic at hand. Uh, they're going to try to build a counter-narrative that has nothing to do with the, the substance that they're meeting with. And I would just veer away from that and don't give that any oxygen. That's not what you're there to do. Uh, the topic is a different matter. It feels hard, though. It feels like a physical struggle. Like I, what I'm hearing you describe, it sounds like you're training more for a boxing match than for public testimony. I, I, it most certainly was unpleasant. I'm not going to deny it. I didn't uh, enjoy that. I look forward to never testifying to that committee again. But Michael McFall's colleagues in the State Department, they are not going to be so lucky. 
Today, Bill Taylor and George Kent, people McFall has known for years, are going to go in front of this same committee, face the same kind of hostility he did. So I asked McFall to tell me what he thinks this testimony is going to sound like. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Before we talk about today's testimony, first, you've got to understand where Michael McFall is coming from when he talks about this impeachment inquiry. This controversy over whether President Trump withheld aid to Ukraine for political reasons, Michael McFaul traces it all the way back to Russia. That's where he was ambassador from 2012 to 2014 under President Barack Obama. Russia's not just in the background there on the front lines. I mean, they invaded Ukraine. Uh, they helped to occupy a part of eastern Ukraine. There are still people dying out there today. And so why President Zelensky needs so badly an Oval Office visit with President Trump, javelin missiles, military assistance is precisely because he is fighting that war against Russia. Uh, that drives everything. If the Russians weren't uh, invading and they weren't fighting and they weren't occupying Crimea, the urgency of all these things, and you can hear it in Zelensky's voice, or at least the way it's been transcribed, uh, wouldn't be there. So that's the first piece. Uh, but the second piece has to do with President Trump. And we have learned through these multiple depositions now just how, <laughs> in, in a kooky, crazy way for me, but just how deferential he is to Putin, how he is going out of his way to try to appease and accommodate Putin. And in doing so, he's not afraid to, to throw the Ukrainians under the bus. Ambassador McFall has been worried about the U.S.-Russia relationship for a while now. He was pleased when the Trump administration decided to give military aid to Ukraine so that fighters there could arm themselves, hold off an invasion. But he also knew from firsthand experience that U.S. diplomats working in and around Russia felt under siege. His time in Moscow under President Obama, it was pretty rough. Uh, there was a lot of disinformation about me, uh, some of it very uh, horrible. When, when there's a video put out accusing you of being a pedophile, that's pretty awful. And I did have the backing, uh, first of the Secretary of State uh, and then President Obama. Uh, in fact, you know, I remember vividly two instances. One time, Secretary Clinton called me in my residence. It's called Spaso House in Moscow. And that, that was very unusual because usually we, we would talk by you know, secure phone from the embassy. And she called me uh, just to emphatically support me and, you know, making sure I'm all right. And we stand behind you 100%, Mike, and everything you say and do as ambassador. Uh, and she made that call on an open line. And so she months, knew the Russians were listening. Exactly. And when I saw her in Washington a few months later, she said, you know, I asked her why you did that on the open line. And she said, I wanted them to hear that. Uh, and that was a very uh, clear signal she was sending. 
And then the president himself, he wanted to make clear that uh, the things that I was saying and doing uh, completely represented the president of the United States as his representative there. When Ambassador McFaul looks at what's happening now, he sees the U.S. government acting completely differently. When rumors started to spread about the ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Ivanovich, earlier this year, the administration didn't defend her at all. Instead, they listened to this disinformation. They listened to Rudy Giuliani and his fairy tales and ultimately removed her, uh, you know, without cause, which is just extraordinarily uh, deflating, not just for Ambassador Yovanovitch, but for the entire Foreign Service to see that happen. When you read the transcripts of closed door testimony from officials in the State Department and the White House, I wonder if you can sort of see these career diplomats having the same realization you are right now, like realizing how this administration is operating differently than the previous one. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind. And it doesn't mean that they agree with all of our policies and disagree with Trump policies. And these people are professional enough to know how to execute and implement policies of new administrations. They've served with half a dozen of them by now, most of the people testifying. But it's also, you know, nothing ever remotely close to some parallel track to secure, you know, uh, an investigation to help President Obama. You know, we never even came close to doing anything like that, uh, where the president is using some private individuals, you know, including his private personal lawyer and his two sidekicks, you know, out of the blue, like, who are these people? And yet they're suddenly involved in diplomacy that, that I've never heard of that, uh, obviously, in the Obama administration. And as somebody who's written a lot about U.S. foreign policy over the decades, I've never read about that in any administration. Hmm. You know, looking at this impeachment inquiry, it's clear there are these group chats between all sorts of people, diplomats, people who are you know, new to the administration. I mean, you must have a similar thing going on with all of your former colleagues at the State Department. I can't even imagine how much that must have blown up as you watched your part of the world that you've invested so much time in become the center of this inquiry. Uh, that's true. Um, and, you know, the group chats that I'm having in various platforms, sometimes with people serving in the State Department now, uh, other times with former Obama administration officials. And what is also always jarring to them is these are names, you know, Bill Taylor. Did you know his name before? Did you know Masha Yovanovitch's name? Uh, Colonel Vindman. Uh, these are all people I've worked with for a long time but are not household names and never wanted to be household names. These are not people seeking the limelight, not wanting to, to do what they had to do to try to adhere to what they thought was right. I think now that more people are seeing how brave and courageous these people were, there, there's a new sentiment on my uh, various chats and emails about this, about how proud they are. Uh, of their colleagues and, you know, feeling pretty good about the, the, the kind of people that, that sign up to, to serve our country in the State Department. It's interesting, going into this testimony today, I found this video of Bill Taylor from earlier this year, and it struck me because he was very strong-voiced 
he wasn't a shrinking violet at all. And it struck me because, you know, I think my muscle memory of what the testimony today will look like is looking back at Robert Mueller, which was so different than how he was speaking. And I I wonder if you think about that at all in terms of how Taylor will present himself. Oh, absolutely. Uh, And I think the contrast, first of all, the Mueller uh, testimony uh, was really surprising to me because I had worked with Mueller in the government. He was at the FBI when I was at the NSC. And that didn't reflect. I was shocked at uh, the way he spoke, both aesthetically and the, the unsureness and the shakiness. Bill Taylor uh, will be a, an incredibly convincing speaker. He speaks with authority. He has a deep you know, voice. Uh, he sounds like somebody who really knows what he's talking about. He will not sound partisan in any way. And, and I don't think it's an accident that they chose to start with him. I think he will be a very strong first witness. And apparently a great note keeper. Well, that's a, that, uh, that too. And that's another thing you get with, uh, you know, career people. Uh, I remember the first time I was the note taker for a summit meeting. Uh, we were in Moscow and the small group meeting I was a note taker for, and I did my best. We then rolled into the bigger meeting and there was a former foreign service officer who is now an assistant secretary in that meeting. Sandy Verspau is his name. And he and I took the. I said, Sandy, can you help me? Because I've been taking notes for three hours. Let's just both of us take notes. And uh, <laughs> by the end of it, he had recorded at least double the amount of words that I did. And that's a that's a talent you you learn uh, working in the State Department. And uh, we now know that uh, Ambassador Taylor uh, perfected it. I think George Kent, who is testifying today, is interesting too, especially because he has it's un, it's unclear where he's coming from politically and he talks about both being worried that the administration was withholding aid to Ukraine in exchange for political help but also about how he warned the Obama administration that Hunter Biden was working with Burisma this Ukrainian energy company and so he's saying both of these things at the same time and he's being quite clear about it and i wonder going into these hearings whether that's beneficial or possibly a hindrance in terms of getting a clear story on the other end of it? I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, I, that part also struck me. And I, I mean, I understand, uh, you know, I can think of instances where I knew of uh, well-connected people in America doing business in Russia uh, and were somehow leveraging, allegedly leveraging, you know, relationships they had in the West. That's pretty standard. And and I do think it, it it's you know, as long as nothing is done illegally, then it's not for government officials to judge that or to be uh, involved in that. Uh, But when it's the son of the vice president, of course, that would raise flags. I think one of the challenges Adam Schiff and others leading the impeachment inquiry are going to face today is explaining what went wrong here. Because part of the defense of the president is this is how government works. You offer one thing for another thing. Some people call that a quid pro quo. So I'm hoping you can help articulate what you're listening for in these hearings that will clarify that for people who have been paying half attention right now. Well, I'd say two things. Uh, First, with respect to diplomacy, we do use quid pro quos all the time. You do this for us, we'll do that for you. The difference here 
is in all the instances when I was involved in setting those kinds of uh, quid pro quos up, and by the way, with Ukrainian officials too, it was always to advance American national security interests. It was never to advance the personal private interests of President Obama. And so that is what is different about this. The, the quid pro quos that are being set up, you get to meet me in the Oval Office, or I will stop uh, holding up your military assistance. But in return, you have to help me with my reelection effort, either by getting dirt on my opponent and his son, the Bidens, or you know, stirring up some crazy story about 2016 being the Ukrainians did it, not the Russians did it with regard to meddling. So that's the first thing. Yeah, quid pro quos, but not for private uh, reason. And, you know, I don't think that's so hard to figure out. And so why I think most Americans will figure out pretty quickly that the president was using his public office for private gain. I think a lot of Trump supporters just don't think what the president did was so wrong. Like, even if you could sit them down and, you know, tape their eyelids open like Clockwork Orange and make them watch this testimony or read the call notes, they would still shrug. I wonder, you're a former ambassador and a professor. What would you want to teach them about what you're seeing here? Well, first of all, just because a Trump supporter doesn't doesn't see that it's wrong doesn't mean that it's not wrong. I'm really tired of people saying, well, his base is not going to move. You know, they support him no matter what. Well, big deal. I don't care. What is wrong is wrong. And and if I were trying to make the case, I, I try, you know, in various ways all the time. Why look at my Twitter feed. It's filled with Trump supporters. Um, uh, and what I would just say is... You, you, the, the president of the United States is a public servant. He's there to serve us. He's there to advance our national interests collectively. That's what you do. You have a you have a contest to win or lose. But then when you become president, you're the president of all Americans and all of our interests, not just a subsection of us. And you most certainly can't use that office for private gain. And I would just focus on that. The use of a public office for private gain is the definition of corruption. And if I can't do it, I can't even use my Stanford email to help uh, an electoral campaign, right? I'm not allowed to even use my email to do that. Uh, why should the president be able to use the, the, the most sacred office that we have, the Oval Office, to try to advance his own private electoral interests? That, to me, is uh, it's wrong. It's misconduct. Whether it's impeachable or not, that's a different debate. But but I don't uh, – I'm sorry. I just can't – I look at that and it's just clear as day. That is the wrong use of the president's office, whether you're a Democrat, Republican, Independent or not. Michael McFall, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Michael McFall is the former U.S. ambassador to Russia. He teaches at Stanford. And that's the show. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, Danielle Hewitt, and Mara Silvers. I'm Mary Harris. I will be back in your feed tomorrow. Catch you then. <laughs>